This is Scott Becker with a joint episode today of the Becker's Healthcare Podcast and the Becker Private Equity and Business Minute Podcast. Thrilled today to get to visit with Matt Wolf. Matt's one of the senior brilliant leaders at RSM. He's going to talk to us today about what he is seeing in healthcare inflation. Matt, why don't you introduce yourself? And then after that, I'll just tee you back up to talk about what you're seeing in, in sort of healthcare inflation and what, what we should be expecting. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me as always, Matt Wolf. I lead RSM's healthcare valuation and private equity group at uh, the firm, and I regularly talk and research with our clients the issues that they're facing, including the number one is for a long time been labor, uh, the labor market, which is a significant driver of inflation in addition to supply chain and just interest rate expense. But, um, you know, the overall story, which is a surprise to nobody who operates in healthcare, is labor costs are increasing significantly faster than they have historically. Generally, pre-pandemic saw two to three percent increase. Now we're in that five to seven percent increase, even for employed staff, let alone any sort of contract labor. Supplies are increasing at about double what they were prior to the pandemic as well. And meanwhile, reimbursements are staying staying flat, which is pressuring provider margins, really pressuring the margins on most of the ecosystem. And we don't see you know, significant relief in the near term. Um, we've had over the past few months uh, pretty strong hiring numbers from the non-farm payroll report. The Bureau of Labor Statistics was published. Um, we exceeded our expectation for November hiring across healthcare. We, we had pegged it at about 40,000 increases or 40,000 new jobs across the healthcare ecosystem. And, and we exceeded that um, by about 15% or so, which was, which was a good, good increase, but it's still not keeping up with demand. We need just more clinical and non-clinical labor to meet meet demand, especially in certain markets and kind of higher acuity settings as well. And, you know, that's, that's pressuring, right? As I said, margins are decreasing because of the increased cost of labor due to the short supply and other factors. Um, but what's really disconcerting for operators is that this margin compression, but at the same time, we need to make investments and change the way that we're interacting with our patients and interacting with the labor that we have, right? So, hey Matt, let me focus you first on the higher acuity setting. You had mentioned something there about inflation and staffing shortages in the high acuity setting. I'd love to talk about that. Then I'd love to talk about shortages and staffing challenges. And in the high acuity setting is one that is near and dear to hospitals and health systems. So I want to talk about how yeah. challenging that is for staffing and inflation. The other thing I'd love to talk about, which is near and dear to the private equity community, is this staffing of physician offices. I mean, I guess that's near and dear to everybody, but so much of the private equity community has invested in practice management companies, those kinds of things. So talk about those two things. So the first, staffing the high acuity setting, which is so key to hospital and health systems, and the second, staffing in practices, and what that means for the erosion of practice management companies, physician practices, and so forth. Yeah, there are two fascinating conversations, and as you said, very, very different for a lot of reasons. On the on the high acuity side, you know, we've seen um, obviously attraction and retention of clinical talent has been difficult, and even in some cases, non-clinical talent. 
as well. On um, the clinical side, we've seen improvements in hiring nursing, nurses, physicians, um, kind of marginal improvements, still not where it needs to be to meet, meet at least the pre-pandemic demand. Um, and so one of the primary ways that, that hospitals, health systems, and, and frankly, payers have been managing that for a lot of reasons is trying to move more of those volumes into less acute settings, hospital in the home, move it, move more surgeries to ambulatory settings, move more, um, you know, scanning and tests to outpatient facilities to, uh, you know, kind of ease some of those clinical burdens as best they can, which makes a lot of sense. And is, as long as it's medically appropriate, is generally good for those patients too. It lowers their out-of-pocket costs. It maybe in a more convenient location. These are all, all good things. Um, the problem there for hospitals and health systems is, you know, in their effort to meet patients where they are, which they should do ease some of those burdens as we've talked about, you know, they have high sunk costs in the facilities that they have developed over, you know, the decades of trying to bring everybody to that sort of nexus campus downtown. And, you know, we saw some of this movement again before the pandemic, but the pandemic has really accelerated shifting these volumes to other sites of service, which I think is generally good for a lot of participants in the healthcare ecosystem, but hospitals and health systems, you know, they, they still have these large expensive facilities that you need to run volumes across in order to make those marginal profits. And even for a not-for-profit entity, that's important, right? You need to have a sustainable financial model um, to support your mission. And if you have these big, expensive, empty buildings sitting on expensive real estate, it can be difficult to do that. So that's, that's the dynamic they're leading themselves into, uh, some operators are leading themselves into as they try to reduce the sort of clinical labor they need at the hospital, move into the patient's home, move into outpatient facilities, which is generally good for the patients. Um, but, you know, it can also kind of lead to some down, downstream economic struggles for those hospital operators because they have these big expensive buildings that um, aren't being utilized in the way they were meant to when they were built. Right. I mean, it's a fascinating perspective that you've got an easier time staffing some of these things on the outpatient side and so forth. So health system was really caught between these two places higher reimbursement in the inpatient side, lower reimbursement on the outpatient side, but easier to staff on the outpatient side. So really trying to manage a number of different things while meeting patients where they want to be. And that's actually more complicated than it sounds because not every patient wants to be at home when they have a serious problem or in some other location when they have a serious problem. They'd like to be surrounded by lots of caregivers, which is what the hospital system looked like in the in the old times, or not too distant that distant times. But if the health system can't staff that, the health system's going to look for all kinds of different ways to staff and take care of patients. What a, what a fascinating juxtaposition of um, the forced movement to outpatient due to staffing issues as well, not just value-based carriers, not just other issues, but just the sheer ability to staff it. It's sometimes easier in the outpatient area than in the inpatient area. What a fascinating time. Yeah, and, you know, part of the staffing model, too, is, um, you know, the hospital in a home, instead of, you know, the care team being mid-level providers or and registered nurses, it might be 
you know, different certifications treating those patients. And, and again, as long as it's medically appropriate, that's, that's probably a good thing for most parties involved. Um, just as you said, a lot of hospitals and health systems are putting themselves or will, may, will find themselves, I should say, in a, between a rock and a hard place um, once these models kind of fully execute. And if they're not able to transition their, their real estate to some new, higher, better purpose, they're, uh, they're kind of trading one problem for another. No, 100%. And what about, and one of the things that we hear hospitals, health systems talk about all the time is agency staffing costs. How is that coming along? Our hospitals, I mean, they're working hard to get those under control. How is that, um, how is that going? Yeah, you know, the, the data that we see in the conversations we have, the, the anecdotal conversations are, some of them are, are positive and, and certainly we see with the public health systems and their comment, they're, they're working to reduce their, their dependence on those contract staffing agencies. I know some other analysts and economists are projecting that, you know, we're kind of in the time period where a lot of those contract nursing arrangements are set to expire. And so there's a thought that, well, the health systems are not going to renew um, or at least not renew at the levels that they had before. But I, what I struggle with, and, and while that's a nice narrative and it's optimistic, and I generally consider myself an optimistic person, you know, I just look at, well, there's still demand for care. We are in the middle of a very um, active flu season, one of the worst we've had in years. Uh, we talk about, especially in pediatric circles with the RSV that's going around the country. And I just see, you know, demand is still really high. And so if hospitals can't replace these contracts for, for temporary nursing, for contract nursing or other contract clinicians with employed clinicians, they're not going to have a choice other than to renew these, these staffing contracts. So that's that's my my view, I guess. Um, maybe a little contrary no, to some but, of the but, news but, we're seeing. But your point Jared, is really true. At the at the end of the day, every once in a while you have a health system say that we're going to be agency staffing zero. We're going to get that rid of agency staffing. And the reality is, if the demand is there for the services and there's no way, other way to take care of those services, the health system really has no choice but to deal with agency staffing unless they can figure out a different alternative to get themselves staffed or to close services. And, and we all don't want them closing services. Should have put this unfortunate situation of health systems having to use agency staffing, uh, even if it's at high cost per hour to fill gaps. It, almost, as you said, there's almost no other choice. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see the, see the alternative. Um, you know, we also just look at some of the underlying metrics of, especially around nurses you know, the largest group of nurses to leave the workforce during the pandemic were, were younger nurses, right? So what is that? I mean, are they going to, you know, mid-career then decide to go back to nursing? What, is, what does that look like? And even the nurses that have remained, you know, depending on which study you want to read, as much as 80% of them mention that they're just highly stressed at work. You know, how sustainable is that? Um, and so I guess if they're going to be highly stressed at work, why not be employed by contract agency, get higher rates? Um, and and it, it's sort of a stopgap fix. I mean, the only real, one of the big fixes there for hospitals and health systems would be to pay employed nurses more, but the reimbursement just doesn't exist to do that. So again, 
hospitals and health systems are really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And as much as they want to wean themselves off contract labor, I just don't see most providers getting back to their pre-pandemic levels of contract labor of around, say, 2% uh, of total labor any, anytime soon. Well, especially if a million nurses have left the workplace in the last few years, if you go from 5 million to 4.2 million or whatever the number is, the numbers are all inexact and a higher percentage of less, the high acuity settings, there's just no way. There's just huge gaps that got to be filled. And so I do see systems aggressively trying to reduce their agency staffing and doing pretty well at it, but getting down completely to baseline numbers, very, very hard. Matt. I want to thank you for joining us again on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, the Becker Private Equity Podcast, talking to you about healthcare inflation and the challenges faced by both systems on the one hand, which is the core of this, and then also practices and other providers and just trying to make margins work. Matt Wolf, RSM, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. Thank you.